Uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to that passage that was so well read, and I want to also thank those who led us in worship. Uh, when you're the speaker, you have a sense of what's coming, and the musicians also have a sense of what's coming. And I, I wish at times we could have the message first and the music later, because then you can enter into uh, why the music was chosen, but thank you for such well-chosen music that reflects the themes of Psalm 96. So we're going to uh, pray, and then we'll look to God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Father, we have been singing to you, and as it were, offering our sacrifices. We've been doing what this psalm has called us to do, to sing to the Lord, to ascribe the Lord greatness. We've been doing out of willing hearts what you've called us to do. But Lord, we now ask that you would speak to us through your word. Speak, Lord, to hearts that are heavy and troubled. Speak to hearts that are joyful and victorious. Speak, Lord, to hearts that are wandering and willful. We ask this, that you would do this in the power of your Holy Spirit, through the authority of your word, because of the blood of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. When Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on that great Palm Sunday, uh, he said to those who questioned his authority and questioned whether his people should be singing. He said, if my followers do not sing, if the children do not sing, the rocks will burst out in singing. And Psalm 96 is another one of those occasions when we get to the end of the psalm. He is calling the fields and the trees and the plants to sing to the greatness of our Lord. Psalm 96 is a wonderful psalm because it reminds us of the essentials of worship. What are the essential components when we come together as the people of God to worship? Now, if we, you weren't so far away and there weren't so many of you, we would have a conversation about this point, and I'd ask you the question, what are the essentials of a worship service? I know you would quickly respond and you would say, well, some of the essentials of worship are we must sing and we do so willingly and joyfully. And so we would note that on our flip chart here. When we come together to worship, we sing and we have done together in remarkable, victorious, triumphant tones this morning. Others of you might say, well, yes, we sing, but if we don't have a sermon, then we haven't really worshipped together. It was just kind of a singing time, and so we have to have a message. And when your pastor comes, he will make sure that you have a sermon every Sunday, and he'll work with those music folks. I need 30 minutes in my sermon or whatever it is. And so when we come together for worship, we sing, we have a message, those of you who serve on the finance committee, you are quite clear, we must have an offering. If we don't have an offering, we don't have church. Some of you come from a tradition in which you have said, well, in my former tradition, it was essential that we had communion every Sunday, or in some of your cases, Eucharist. If there's no Eucharist, if there are no elements, it hasn't really been a worship service. 
Some of you, like me, come from an old Baptist tradition where if there isn't an altar call, we haven't really had worship. I spoke in a church recently in which if they didn't have a children's story at the front with everybody involved, they hadn't really worshipped. As I move through various churches and am privileged to speak in different churches, everyone has a slightly different way of emphasizing what it means to worship the Lord. But Psalm 96 brings us all together and says, whatever else we do, here are the essentials of worship when the people of God come together. Psalm 96 was first written and first sung when David entered Jerusalem for the first time with his army. Up to that point, the city had been controlled by a group of people called Jebusites. They were nasty people. They were evil people. And the city of Jerusalem was not a place of worship. It was a place of idolatry. It was a place of uh, immorality. And when God said to David and to his army, I want you to take Jerusalem because this is the place where people will gather to worship my name, the armies gathered at the edge of the city of, ironically, Zion. The Jebusites called their city Zion, meaning place of peace. But it was no peace that was there in Jerusalem. It was a place of violence. In fact, as the army of God gathered outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem, the Jebusites sent a message to David and said, you'll never get in. You will never conquer this city. Your God is not as powerful as our God. Some of you are here today, testimonies, that you can say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob The God who redeemed us through Jesus came and indwelt me, even though I never thought God would take control of my life the way he has. And some of you can say, I once said, I will never become a follower of Jesus. And yet here you are this morning. You are Zion. You were a place of peace. Well, when David conquered the city of Jerusalem, it was Solomon, his son, that eventually... uh, was able to build the temple and the people continued to worship. So Psalm 96 was written and first sung at this particular victorious moment among the people of God when they could not help but sing. But when we back up and look at the big scene of the book of Psalms, not all of the Psalms were written at moments of victory and triumph. And some of you have come this morning to church with a a note of victory. You've seen answers to prayer. You've seen God's deliverance. You've seen God's provision. And you enter into Psalm 96 with cheerful hearts. But there are other times and there are other psalms in which the people are invited to sing despite what's going on around them in their life and in their world. In fact, through the history of church music, some of the greatest music was written out of the darkest experiences. So whether you today are coming in victory and in joy and in answer to prayer, or whether you're coming today with a heavy heart, Psalm 96 invites us all together to come together and sing. Psalm 96 is in what's simply called Book 4. 
And the, there are five books in this hymn book of the Psalms. And book four is primarily the congregational book. If you start, and we won't take time to do it, but starting in Psalm 19, continuing on for a number of psalms, there are a lot of psalms in here that say, the Lord reigns, the Lord is victorious, the Lord has conquered. And there are many psalms in here which call the people to sing together, to sing one to another, sing to the Lord. And so book four is the congregation's instruction book on how to come together and worship the Lord. And in the middle of it all is this unique Psalm 96, which has its own unique identity. What, then, are the essentials of worship as we find them in this particular psalm? First, essential of worship is if we can, uh, can we go back one slide? It may not have uh, appeared. There we go. God calls us to sing. Yes, the first essential of worship is pretty obvious. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. It is one of the unique features of the people of God that in fact we do sing. Somebody once said, and I hope it's taken in the right vein, the people of God are just one great big karaoke bar. We come together and we sing together. And whether our voice is good or our voice is not good, we just come together and sing. It is not just a command of the Lord. It is our instinct that we sing to the Lord. And so in Psalm 96, these opening verses are both a command and an affirmation. Keep singing. And for those who refuse to sing, sing to the Lord a new song. In fact, when we come over to Ephesians 4, we don't have time to turn there, but in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. But why do we sing? Why is this such a natural instinct for us to sing, whether it's from the organ or from the drum or from the guitar or from the piano, whether we sing on our own or whether we sing as a group? Why is this such a natural instinct? First of all, it comes from hearts of joy. It is also a means by which in the most difficult of moments, music reaches through to the soul in a way that no sermon can ever do it. I acknowledge the limitation of the, what I'm about to do. I am preaching God's word and is used by God's word. It is used by God's spirit. But the music that we sing, that reaches to parts of the soul that no message can ever reach. In fact, when the people of God come together and sing together, we don't just sing to the Lord, we are singing to each other. And it is as as the people of God sing to each other and encourage each other, our voices are lifted. I've mentioned uh, elsewhere that in addition to my work at the seminary, I also serve as a part-time chaplain at a federal prison. The men who are there are medium to maximum, which means they have committed all kinds of crimes, and I won't try to name them because it's inappropriate. But on Sunday night, 15 to 20 medium to maximum criminals 
come together and they sing. And there's nothing like listening to 15 or 20 men who have had a profound encounter with Jesus on the other side of the razor wire, listening to them sing. In fact, one of the fellows said last night, the last Sunday night, it was his birthday, and so we sang happy birthday along with everything else. And he stood and he gave testimony to the redeeming work of grace in his life on the other side of the prison. And he says, when we come together on Sunday night, this is what I live for. I live to sing. To God be the glory of great things he has done. So love they the world that he gave us his son. The second stanza goes on to say, the vilest offender that truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And so whichever side of the razor wire we live on, whichever stage of life you're in, whether it's one filled with joy or sadness, whether it's one in which you are having triumph or trial, the essential of worship is we sing. And if you didn't catch it the first time, he says it a second time. Sing to the Lord. And if you didn't catch it the second time, he says the third time. Sing to the Lord and proclaim his salvation. Not just when we get together. Note the text. Day after day after day. It's the instinct of God's people that we sing. There is another essential of worship, and it leads us to the second part of this particular passage, and it is we not only sing, but we retell the story again and again. When the people of God come together to worship, we retell the story. In fact, here in Psalm 96, as I mentioned before, the first time that this was sung was when David conquered the city of Jerusalem. And so when the people would sing this psalm, they would remember that great victory when the city of Zion truly became the city of peace. We all have stories in our life that a song emerges, a song reminds us of those events. Whether it's an old hymn or a new song, we could go through this room and we could say, what stories in your life are triggered by this particular song? And you would have many stories. I remember when we sang that song at this event. I remember when we sang that story at, 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 at that event. But it's not just the stories of our life. It is the stories through history of God's grace. It says in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. Verse 5, the Lord made the heavens. Later on, it says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Later on in verse 10, it says, he will judge the people with equity. And he will judge the world in righteousness. Embedded in the text of Psalm 96 is the entire story of God's creation and salvation, beginning from when he created all things to the end of time when it says he will judge the world with truth and with grace. When you and I come together, we retell the story. It's one of the exciting things about coming to churches. Which part of the story are we going to hear this week? 
Will it be from the Old Testament where the people were delivered out of Exodus or out of Egypt? Will it be from the New Testament where Jesus healed the blind man? Will it be the resurrection? Or will it be somebody's personal story that's from today? Which part of the story will we hear this week? Some years ago, I was privileged to be a guest at a church called Pantego Bible Church down in Dallas, Texas. Their pastor there had very graciously invited me to be part of that church for a while. And so I was there on a particular Sunday morning. They have a large children's ministry. You don't get into the children's ministry without a special name tag because you might do bad things. And so they gave me a great big name tag, visitor, so that I could just visit where the children are. Well, in that particular church, at that stage in its life, everybody, everybody on the Sunday morning studied the same passage. It didn't matter whether you were three or 103, everybody was studying the same passage. And so on that particular Sunday morning, the passage that the, the pastor was speaking from was John the Baptist. Well, during the children's time, when I was down there during one of the services, I was out in the hallways, and one of the uh, teachers had lined up the grade, uh, the the six-year-olds and the seven-year-olds, and they were going their bathroom break before they had their snack. And she said, boys and girls, please hurry, uh, because we have our snack, and then we're going to hear the story of John the Baptist. One little seven-year-old guy rolled his eyes and says, oh, I've heard that story so many times. (laughs) But every time we come together, we are retelling the story. And we never get tired of hearing the story. Whether it's the deliverance out of Egypt, or whether it's Jesus healing the blind man, or whether it's the story that's yet to come, Jesus shall return. In fact, somebody once said, Hebrews 11 ends with a comma, not a period. If the writer could, he would have gone on to say, by faith, and he would tell the stories of all of the people of all time in history, including this church. I was in a church not long ago, and they had begun a practice of telling stories on Sunday morning, both of greatness and of difficulty. And people were sharing stories of what it meant for God to work in their life. Psalm 96 says an essential of worship is that we sing. Psalm 96 reminds us an essential of worship is we're retelling a part of the story, whether it's the beginning or the middle or the end, and we come together to say, what part of the story will we hear this week? But there's a third essential that emerges out of that. And the third essential of worship is when we come together, we declare the victory of our Lord. Great is the Lord, most worthy of a praise. He is to be feared among all gods. The Lord made the heavens. He will rule the nations. He will judge the nations. And this entire psalm is one which is immersed in victory. You and I have all been, and it's not part of your church, but you've all had experiences I had of you going to another church service and you think, where's the victory? Where's the sense of confidence that Christ has come and raised from the dead and he has conquered sin? It is an essential of worship that it is one of victory. Verse 4, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. 
He is to be feared among, above all the Elohim. Verse 5 is a play on words. For all of the Elohim of the nations are really Elohu. Interesting. All of those so-called gods of the nations are really nothings. The thing about our world, the thing about our culture is it will always offer you and me a buffet of idols. It's like this smorgasbord of pick whatever you want to worship. So long as it's not the one true Lord, you can worship pleasure. You can worship power. You can worship prosperity. You can worship yourself. You can worship this religion, that religion. It's a smorgasbord, and it doesn't really matter. In fact, it is built into some cultures that we can worship anything we want. But Psalm 96 says, no, the true Victory is one in which the Lord is the one whom we are to worship. This declaration of victory, this confidence that you and I have, is risky. The minute you and I walk out the door, the minute you and I go out onto the streets of Vancouver or into our various workplaces and declare, the Lord reigns, it gets us in trouble. In fact, if you and I were to announce in so many places, the Lord reigns, we would be accused of being intolerant, narrow, arrogant, unwilling to compromise. This declaration of victory that Christ alone has come into the world to change lives, his dangers in a world that celebrates anything and everything so long as it's not the one true God. It is dangerous in a world where certain idols are worshipped and even fought for. But rather, the gospel is not narrow. It says whosoever will may come. The gospel is not intolerant, it is sacrificial. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners among whom I am chief. The gospel is not cruel, it is comforting. The gospel is not narrow, it is inviting. And so in Psalm 96, he urges us, declare in your life, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. In fact, it is a declaration that we are to make whether the day has gone well or whether it's been one of the most difficult days of the year. Lord, you still reign. And at the end, you will judge the world in righteousness and you will judge the peoples in faithfulness. Lord, you reign. I want to encourage you with this particular chapter in the life of Ebenezer Baptist Church to keep singing. And even when you don't feel like singing, keep singing. And keep telling the stories, the stories of this church, the stories of your life, the stories of Scripture. Keep sharing the stories. And keep declaring in your conversations and in your decisions, the Lord reigns. And he will rule and he will oversee all that is before us. There's a fourth essential of worship. Not only are we called to sing and tell the story and declare the victory, but worship 
always calls for a sacrificial response. Verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. Give to the Lord all you families of nations. Verse 8. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Say among the nations. And so every time we come together, we are bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. There are times, there are times when I wish I lived in the Old Testament. Not many. I want to live on this side of the cross with the resurrection and all that has gone on and the power of the Holy Spirit. But there are moments when I wish I lived in the Old Testament. You know, those times when they gathered together in Jerusalem and everybody came with a lamb or a goat or if they were too poor, they came with doves. There would be nothing like seeing the people of God all coming together, dragging a lamb, saying, I need a Savior, and this is the evidence that I need a Savior as I brought this lamb. Sometimes we can come to church and say, my life is fine. It's all together and works going well. And yet every time we come, whether it's our hours or our dollars, our time or our talent, our passion or our ability, every time we come with all that we have, it's a way of saying, Lord, you have redeemed me. And so I want to to encourage you as a congregation, continue to ascribe to the Lord, give to the Lord all that you have before him. Even this morning, there were practical ways for you to get involved. And this is not a guilt trip by any means. It's just a natural response to God's grace. It is an essential of worship that we come and we give what the Lord has called us to do so that we together can be the people of God. However, Psalm 96 has a feature which is unique in all of the Psalms. No other psalm adds this feature quite the way Psalm 96 does. It's at the very beginning and it's at the very end. And it leads us to the last of the essential. Worship calls for all nations to rejoice. Psalm 96 was not just written to the people of the Old Testament who were Jewish and ate the same food and lived in the same community. The vision that David had and the vision that God had in the Old Testament was that all nations would worship the Lord. And so here in the psalm, right in the very beginning, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Tremble before him, all the earth. Verse 10, I love it. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns, and he will judge the world in righteousness. The gospel is not just for the select few who have grown up with it. It is to be spread throughout this whole world, and that's a unique feature of Psalm 96. It is a missions psalm. And so we find here added perhaps the most unique distinctive of Psalm 96 is we share the gospel, we take it to the other ends of the world because worship is still incomplete. 
In fact, that's why we do missions. That's why you and I share our faith, whether it's in a prison or in a palace, in your office or wherever it is, on this side of the planet or the other side of the planet. We share the gospel. We are involved in missions because worship is incomplete. There are still others who, by their lives, need to join this church and join in worshiping the Lord. There are others in other parts of the world that come together that need to be brought together so that they can worship the Lord. And so Psalm 96 calls you and it calls me to say, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Rick Comrie and his wife live in Abbotsford. Roy is in his uh, 70s. He and his wife served in various parts of Africa for many decades. At the very core of his being, Ray, Roy, is an evangelist. And many, many people have come to saving faith because Psalm 96 for him was real. Say among the nations. Roy has a sister who also was serving in South Africa as a missionary up until about five or six years ago. She was a few years younger than him, and tragically, she was murdered. She was a single missionary living out Psalm 96 and doing all that is there. It was devastating for Roy and his wife and their family and the church to say, but here was a woman who had given her life to the gospel. She was saying among the nations, and yet she was murdered by a young man. Roy was not to be undaunted. And so he, on one of his trips to Africa, asked if he could go to the prison where this young man was being housed so that he could meet him and tell him about the woman that he'd killed. The warden said, that's impossible. The chaplain of that prison told him, Roy... I can't even get on that unit. You'll never get on that unit. You likely know how this story is unfolding. Roy and others began to pray, and it was made possible for Roy to meet Chris. Shared with him the gospel. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Led Chris to the Lord. I talked to Roy a week ago on the phone. Roy's got some health problems that have really slowed him down. I said, Roy, what's the latest? He said, Daryl, there's now 150 men in that prison who have claimed the name of Jesus. And they come together to worship because one fellow said, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. How do we pull this all together? Psalm 96 provides for us the essentials of worship. It is not just the coming together of God's people on Sunday morning. It is the dispersing of God's people through the week. And so we sing together. We tell the stories of God's deliverance and victory. We share of the victory that the Lord reigns. We bring our sacrifices of time and talent and hours and dollars. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, presenting our entire bodies a living sacrifice. And uniquely to this psalm, we declare among the nations, the Lord reigns. How does this apply to you? 
I invite you to take even just one of those essentials this week and say, Lord, how am I to live out this essential in my life this week? Perhaps it means you're going to sing a little more strongly on Sunday morning because you know it encourages God's people. Perhaps you will take the initiative to share stories from your own life with others to say, here's where God's been at work in my life. and My, he's a gracious God. It may be that you say, I am going to be giving to the Lord. I'm going to be doing what he's called me to do in this church and in this world. It might be that you take practical steps to say, I'm going to be involved in missions, whether it's through praying for the Roy Comrie's of this world or giving or going on a short-term trip, or for some of you, you might be saying, you know, Lord, I'm going to be actually be among the nations, and I want to say it there. But you don't have to go to the other side of the planet to say it among the nations. We live in one of the most multicultural cities on the planet, and you can walk down any street and work in any office, and you are living among the nations. And so I invite you as the people of God to live out Psalm 96. If you are here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, all of this just 747 right over your head. I want to tell you wonderful news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not just the ones that are behind razor wire that I'll see later tonight. Christ Jesus came into the world to save all of us. And he wants to reign in your life so that you can become the person God has called you to be. So that, believe it or not, you will begin to sing. Believe it or not, you will begin to have stories to tell of God's work in your life. And you will begin to worship with all of God's people and be able to say among the nations, the Lord reigns.